On today's journey down the road to Qatar, we reach the South American mile marker. As two of the competition's behemoths come in as white-hot favourites. With the chance of a lifetime on the line for both Brazil and Argentina, we go beyond just Messi and Neymar to tell you what makes these teams tick and why we could be seeing a winner from the continent after 20 long years. My name is Rithik Sarkar. Welcome back to the road to Qatar. On the panel today, we have journalist and podcast host of Hand of Pod, Santi Bauza. Um, for those of you in the know, you've probably seen on COP90, on CNN, or even here on Breaking the Lines. Good morning, Santi. Great to have you here. Hi, thanks you, thank you for having me as well. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other side, we have a junior from Brazil edition. Uh, Brazil Edition is a verified uh, goldmine of Brazilian content. Uh, everything from gifts, opinions, updates of the Brazilian football team. Everything you need is from Brazil Edition. Thank you, Junior. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks for the invitation, but uh, doing really well and excited to discuss Brazil and Argentina going into Qatar. Well, that is a that is a great starting point, you know. On uh, the topic of the World Cup, you know, just putting everything aside on a more broader level, um, how good are Brazil and Argentina's chances? Because I, for one, have never felt more strong about these two teams heading into a World Cup for ages. Yeah, I think you. Uh, I think you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a really strong case for Argentina having. Uh, Probably the chance of a generation to make it uh, pretty far in this World Cup. Not necessarily because um, they have a, a huge squad or you know a stacked uh, group of players at their prime. Exactly, I think uh, looking back, you probably could see better squads heading into, for example, uh, the 2014 or even 2006 World Cups. But because there is such a cohesion and connection between these group of players and their manager, uh, Lionel Caloni, which that I think we haven't seen in Argentina for a very long time, added to the fact that we have just won some silverware for the first time in ages. So I think uh, the expectations uh, for this team ahead of this World Cup are sky high, like they've never been in almost 15 to 20 years. I would, which makes, of course, um, almost all, all the population of Argentina pretty, pretty excited about it. Uh, with um, Messi being this kind of leader that um, people always demanded him to be, but he finally, you know, also has a squad that can n- not just play for him and give the ball to him in every conceivable, you know, chance, but also um, take matters if, into their own hands if necessary, you know, something that. Once again, you didn't exactly see in the previous generation of players, even if some of them could have been more talented than the current crop. So, uh, yeah, I think I... I won't say I feel confident, but I feel really excited about this team ahead of of the World Cup. Well, the skies are truly blue and white then, uh, but amidst them... is a sun, uh, just like the emblem of the Brazilian national flag. And that's on you, Junior. Um, you know, just on a broad scale, uh, Brazil, 
have been, you know, very, very impressive. <laughs> just putting 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 the Copa, uh, Copa America final just to the side a little bit, you know. How do you feel about Brazil going, um, you know, into the World Cup? How do you really feel about that chances just on a broad scale? Yeah, so with Brazil, overall, I would say definitely a top three contender at this point. Um, I know we're not going to touch upon the Copa America final, as you mentioned, but I do feel since that final, the team has improved a lot, especially in terms of their attack. So, Junior, just on a broad scale, um, you know, how do you assess Brazil's chances um, of you know, really winning this World Cup even? Yeah, so going into this World Cup, overall, I think we'd definitely be a top three contender for sure. Um, since the Copa America, overall, the attack has really improved. Um, for example, we've gone from players like Richarlison and Everton uh, to likes of Vinicius and Rafinha. So I'm feeling pretty good. Um, even with the midfield, uh, someone like Bruno of Newcastle is sort of emerged among the mainstream. And I think he's someone I'd love to replace Fred with. But overall, I feel confident. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, it'll be interesting. That is That is some good insight. And obviously... I'm I'm glad none of you uh, gave too much away because that would have just been the part right there in one question. Uh, so Sandy, coming to you, um, you know, obvious, um, obvious uh, sort of elephant in the room you alluded to before is Lionel Messi. You know, in the past we've seen him having to shoulder a lot of um, responsibility, shoulder a lot of the expectation. And obviously, he did. He was the recipient of the uh, Player of the Tournament two World Cups ago. But something seems different this time. Um, you know, as again, you alluded to, it's he is sort of now the elder statesman, you know, big um, sort of bigger beard that's come into his uh, persona and really just drawing these team of, you know, sort of, I would say, sort of unfashioned players, you know, players who aren't, you know, mainstream recognizable names like we've seen years past. And what do you feel is really different about men? I see this um, either in attack or at a number 10 position. Like, why Why is this, you know, this current run of Argentina's where in the last 15 games, they've won 12 and only drawn three? Um, you know, what do you feel is maybe different about Messi this time, you know, versus, um, you know, under different managers? Well, I think, um, there are, I think there, are some, there are several things that have changed uh, with regards to Messi in... In the years that followed that uh, horrid, horrid World Cup 2018 display by the whole team, um, I think uh, Scaloni has been pretty, pretty crucial in the way he handled Messi during his first uh, few years at the helm. Uh, you, you, lest we forget that after that elimination to France, Messi took a break from the national team until March 2019, a break which uh, Scaloni used to try to create a, a solid base of players he could trust upon. He made a lot of, you know, uh, he handed a lot, of, a lot of debuts for the national team to a lot of new players and uh, until he found the right combination, the right group of players who not only he could trust, but also that they, they became accustomed to, as I said before, take matters into their own hands when Messi wasn't around, you know. And uh, I think uh, I think this group of players who have been probably the first, 
the first few players who actually grew up watching Messi play instead of grew, growing up playing alongside him. Uh, they they've seen uh, they've seen him play before. They've seen what other players did with him, and uh, I think they learned from that from that. And uh, it's clear that um, they they've tried to adapt themselves to the way Messi plays right now. He's not he's not the that you know explosive kind of forward that he used to be. You know, running into the into the channels. Uh, at breakneck speed with uh, incredible dribbles, he's now more of a playmaker. He plays uh, further, further into the midfield, trying to create chances. And I think um, players like Lo Celso and the ball, and even Lautaro Martinez at number nine, have begun to read the way he he tries to create these chances and create the, the, those kind of free spaces. And um, I think it's been crucial to the to the way. To the way in which he leads the team as well, he's become this sort of uh, guiding, helping hand for those new players, those youngsters who now look up to him. And I think he's he's uh, kind of risen to the occasion on on several on several times where the team needed him. But others, such as for example that that Copa America final where you expected him to be more tightly marked, some other players also you know. Uh, also rose up to the occasion, like uh, the ball, and even you know uh, Angel Di Maria, Gonzalo Montiel, who had an incredible display in that final. So I think that's that's been key: the fact that the Ecaloni has been able to understand uh, what Messi needs and uh, to pick the right group of uh, of talent who could, you know, um, take matters into their own hands. I know I've said this a lot, but it's it's kind of the way the way to describe it. But yeah, yeah, no, it's. It, it, very, it's very, it's very true because um, having having the, your squad, you know, really rise up and not having one person be the failsafe. Um, you know, this also brings me back to um, you know the uh, aforementioned World Cup final we had talked about, where Angel Di Maria's absence against Germany really kneecapped Messi and kneecapped Argentina because here was you know Messi's one big outlet who was just like completely out of contention, and it obviously mentioned um, you know a lot of. Uh, names in there, uh, particularly Rodrigo de Paul uh, um, and uh, Papu Gomez and uh, Lo Celso, amongst others. But you know, I've 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 really liked seeing sort of slightly more lower profile, slightly more unfashioned players really, you know, taking taking charge at um, taking charge at Argentina. The likes of Gonzalez, Nico, uh, Lucas Martinez, Quatra, McAllister of Brighton, who's um, you know domestically having a great season, and um, you know. In, in 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 years past, um, Argentine managers wouldn't look at you know a player from Brighton and think, oh, this is the person who's going to need, this is this is the person who's going to fit in. Like they'd say, oh, higher profile players can you know manage higher profile expectations. Hence, we should put them. But Scaloni's gone a sort of different way, finding you know players who are effective in certain positions and who play well as part of a team. You know, you can you tell me tell me if I'm uh, going a little bit off base here, but you know that's what I've noticed uh, watching Argentina, especially during these last qualifiers. It's spot on, yeah. Because uh, well, it also has to do with the fact that um, for a while, I think um, around 2018, 2019, you wouldn't see a lot of players actually playing in high-profile teams as well. I mean, that forced Scaloni into you know looking uh, to to different places, to new. New kind of players uh, to to integrate those new squads, and I think uh, he got it spot on with a few bets who probably 
had made a bus in Europe, but uh, for the Argentine public, there weren't exactly household names like of uh, Rodrigo de Paul, who has been like the the biggest probably uh, the biggest hit in uh, Scaloni's career, as well as Cuti uh, Romero and Diego Martinez, who probably were you know making strides in Italy and England, especially after Martinez had won the FA Cup for Arsenal, but who really were taken out of the blue for, for the local public who were more accustomed to, you know, watching players from Boca and River getting consistently called off. Uh, yeah, Julian Alvarez, um, always great to see more domestic, you know, South American players making the team because it almost seemed like it was uh, usually just now European players who were being selected. Yeah, I think, I think that has to do also with the fact that... Um, there's a, a huge gap in quality because between the players who have uh, uh, emigrated to Europe and the ones that are still in South America, the the, the football is played at different kind of you know intensity and uh, and speed as well. And uh, there's stuff that you learn in Europe that you may never learn if you stay in South America. And I think even if Julian Alvarez has been this roaring talent in South America in in at River, you can see that when he plays for the national team, he's missing that extra you know physicality and um he's very easily dealt with i think with certain certain defenders who are more experienced in europe uh the likes of uh, you know chilean and even brazilian center backs they they generally don't really have a hard time in you know controlling him and limiting him i think uh he still needs to to, to have some more game time i think in europe i hope he gets it at manchester city i think it, it will be a little bit hard but you know Bolivar is a tinker. He always gives uh, a few chances to every player in the, in the attack. So I, I hope he, he becomes that kind of player. Yeah. Well, exactly. One can hope. One can only hope. Yeah. Uh, and in a similar vein, Junior, um, in a similar vein, uh, you know, I haven't been this excited for Brazil side in, since, I, I would say, 2006, uh, when you had sort of Kaka leading the line. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, Santi had talked about uh, Argentina not necessarily having the real, like, you know, depth in terms of household names. But I look at this Brazil side and I'm seeing one, two, maybe three starting sides, you know, all of whom could um, legitimately qualify for the World Cup, you know, in their in their own right. Um, and just like, you know, the sheer wealth of talent, you know, is that something that is sort of driving... Uh, you know, positive feeling towards Brazil. Like there are so many people for so many positions. Yeah, I would definitely say the depth of the team has improved so much over the last few years. Um, as you mentioned, um, you could quite literally make <clears throat> three starting lineups at this point. And one thing that I think will go in our favor is the fact that they're thinking about expanding the World Cup squads to 20, 26 players versus the 23. So I think that's something that's going to be key for us because if you look at the attack, um, you know, the likes of uh, Coutinho and Anthony, they don't even touch the starting lineup at this point. And even players like Firmino, uh, Gabriel Jesus, you know, they're even questionable about getting into this squad. Um, yeah, and you look at you look at just like, you, as you mentioned, like just at defensive midfield, you know, a position that nations often struggle in because unless you have a good DM, you know, 
nothing's going to come together. You have Casemiro, Fabinho, and even uh, you know Bruno of uh, Newcastle, who you had talked about earlier. Um, you know, it's 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 such a wealth of wealth of talent. Um, and you know, are there any spots? Maybe you know, possibly it's centre back, or you know, other parts of the field where you feel that you know Brazil might just be better off with one more big talent. Yeah, I think what what concerns me about the team is the striker. I think right now we're playing Neymar false nine, but it's a bit questionable. We don't really have that like big number nine like we used to with Ronaldo, Adriano, uh, uh, Luis Fabiano even. So I think Matthews Kuna, for example, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops over the next few months because I think he can be a pretty key player in the side. But in terms of where I'm like truly concerned, I would say fullbacks. Um, I think at this point, our best right back is a 37-year-old Danny Alves, which is a bit concerning. Um, you know, he still can... It, yeah. it is quite a concern. It is quite a concern. Like, no no sugarcoating it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he's still very good at what he does, you know, getting the ball into the box. Um, we've often seen him sort of drift into the midfield with Marquinhos covering his area. But, for example, if mm. we... That leaves Marquinhos a little exposed yes. in the center then. If there's Yes. And, you know, if we come up against France and... Mbappe is on their left side, that's going to cause a lot of problems. So I think the right back's concerning because um, even our backup is Danilo of Juventus, who is having a really good season, but I think he's a pretty limited player. Um, he's lacking that national yes. team cohesion. He hasn't really, really featured for Brazil at, at a national Yes, team. and even some like someone like Emerson of Spurs, he just really has not done well uh, in the Premier League. Um, so right back, something we need to improve upon. And then as well, the left side, um, you know. Equally concerning. Yeah, we had uh, obviously Renan Lottie, who um, was ultimately... You would say it's comfortably first choice though, right? It's, it's between him and there's a local player uh, from Brazil. His name is Arana from Atletico Mineiro. So I think it's between those two. But, you know, you look at the Copa America, Renan Lottie ultimately cost us that game with that uh, error, which Di Maria capitalized on. So um bit concerning. Um, as well, you have Alex Telles, who has been pretty below average. Had a yeah. bit caught. Yeah, I, 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 as a fan of Manchester United, I, I'll attest to that. Defensively, defensively culpable, if not very useful for set pieces and long corners. Um, but yeah, it, you make you make a very good point for fullbacks. You know, it's 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 almost comical to think that uh, you know at, at, we keep thinking of Brazil as producing you know historically producing a lot of good fullbacks, but um, recently it's been just a problem of longevity where. You're having to call upon uh, Danny Alves again, um, and and that does become a bit concerning. But uh, you know, looking looking you know sort of more ahead of them, um, you know, looking towards 
the midfield and the attack. You know, you've got Ischia wealth of players. And it really makes me bring up, you know, a tweet that you had, um, someone from Brazil edition tweeted, it may have been yourself, you know, talking about uh, Malcolm and uh, David Neres. And you had mentioned in the same vein, you know, Richarlison uh, amongst others. Well, Malcolm and Neres, like maybe a year ago, seemed, you know, pretty nailed on to uh, come for the Brazilian national team. And now, well, their names just don't pop up. You've, you've even got people like Anthony who are having absurdly good seasons, you know, not really knocking at the door of the first team. So is it, 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 it is, is it really that tight of a competition? And is it that much of a headache for the manager? Yeah, I think the manager's going to be sleepless before that final call-up because... <laughs> it's a good it problem to have. Is, but it's... It's really going to be tough, I think, because you even have the likes of uh, Gabriel Martinelli at Arsenal, who is nowhere near close to squad at this point. Um, I mean, I guess if you're a wide forward named Gabriel, your chances of making the Brazilian <laughs> starting lineup, is just it, the, the stars just aren't in your favor because Jesus is only 25. He's had a decent season. He's nearly on double figures, both goals and assists. Yet, you know... It's 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 not he's never gonna play ahead of Neymar, you know, even if Neymar plays as a ten. Yeah, no, with and with Gabriel Jesus on the I've watched him since he was uh playing in the youth teams for Palmeiras, so huge fan of him, but I feel like since he moved to City he's had to he's he's improved, but I feel like he's regressed at the same time in terms of his actual Brazilian qualities of just dribbling, showing flair. So I feel mm. there has been regression there. I think because, again, of that additional three players in the squad, he'll get a chance to get in, but it's going to be tight. And, you know, we're always talking about uh, Neymar. Uh, Neymar having sort of the similar role to Messi as to really drive this team. You know, one of my Lasting memories is of Neymar getting need in the back. Um, I can't remember Vargas of Colombia. I'm not sure who it was. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Um, need in the back. Um, you know, crying on the floor, and then Brazil having to uh, <laughs> deal with Germany without Thiago Silva and Neymar. And you know, it could have been. It it probably would have still not changed the world, but the manner of the humiliation would have been greatly eased. And it's something that plays in my mind about Neymar is that he is undoubtedly such a good player. He has, you know, pretty much everything in his locker. But when it comes to, like, you know, the the national team in a cup performance, something just doesn't coalesce. And it's interesting to see the last Copa America that Brazil won. Brazil did not have Neymar playing. And it sort of brought a lot of other people to raise their game in a big way. You know, as Santi had mentioned, you know, does do you see in Brazil a lot more players who are just ready to raise that game? You know, uh, the one of the main people I see performing well this World Cup is Vinicius Junior, who is in the last two seasons, I believe, like really raised his game to you know a top tier level. Um, you know, do you see him having you know a pretty huge effect given that his his presence on the left wing allows Neymar you know the more freedom to just pound the centre backs and not have to run and create that much. Yeah, I think... I mean, in the end, Neymar will still be the guy in Qatar, 100%. But I think if... And we're going to see if they can step up the likes of Vinicius, uh, Rafinha, Anthony, 
You also have Coutinho who could come off the bench. Um, you know, we'll have ultimately we can't 100% guarantee they're going to step up, but um, just looking at the recent World Cup qualifiers, um, they looked very good. Um, Vinicius is starting mm. to find his rhythm with the national team. Uh, he had a bit of issues at first. Um, but ultimately, it, it's going to be interesting to see if sort of that Neymar dependency exists. I know with you know, 2019 Copa America, we won without him. But you look at that team as a whole, and a lot of those players... Most of those players yeah, are gone. Like Felipe Luis. Yeah. Rich Allison, Everton. Yeah, a lot yeah, of those. They ended, a lot of, we had a very sort of an older team, I felt, in 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, Felipe Luis, uh, Danny Alves was the player of the tournament. Um, you had Artur, uh, who was at Barcelona at the time, but uh, it feels like he... Oh, wow. He's yes. really fallen down at Juventus. <laughs> it, it is sad to see. It is sad to see. I had a lot of hopes for him. But I think he was, um, and uh, you guys, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But like Arthur's transfer just seemed like a, <laughs> it just seemed like a money watching yeah. exercise between the two teams. Oh yeah, but uh, that that that's an issue for <laughs> another day. Um, uh, for both of you coming back to it, uh, you know, getting into the meat meat and bones of the World Cup. You know, we obviously can't speak to the chances in the knockout stages because we don't have a crystal ball, and well, the octopus is dead. Um, so we're looking at the groups, and I'll put this on to you, Santi. Um, got Saudi Arabia, got Mexico, got Poland. Who worries you the most? <laughs> yeah, if it, at all, it actually, worries you. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Fight funny because, uh, I mean, when you look back at the last four World Cups, it's incredible how easy have been the groups Argentina has, uh, has um, been given by the draw, even if, at times, especially in 2018, we made things difficult for ourselves. But uh, when you look, you know, in 2010, we had Greece, Nigeria, and South Korea. In 2014, we had Bosnia and Herzegovina, Iran and Nigeria. Then we had Iceland, uh, Croatia, and Nigeria again. And now we have this three, which may as well be one of the easiest, at least on paper, easiest uh, groups we might we might have gotten in, in recent years. Uh, yeah, moment yeah. of silence for yeah, no, but, no so, Argentina, Nigeria in the group <laughs> stages. We'll, we'll be robbed of yeah, we'll be robbed the next of change, contest that, that we've always green. had. <laughs> it, oh, God. It, you know, so I oh, think... What a, um, what a great, what a great well, I think the the easiest answer to as to which team is the most threatening uh, of the three of those would be Poland because of course uh, you've got uh, when you you've got a team with Robert Lewandowski up front, it's generally considered to be you know the the most obvious answer. But then again, Poland don't tend to be you know very good at international tournaments. You know the their performance with Lewandowski at his peak in twenty eighteen and. Euro 2020 uh, wasn't exactly memorable at all. So uh, yeah, and the Polish yeah. public definitely made <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, they, uh, they've also they've also changed <laughs> the manager really quickly. Uh, very recently, Paulo Sosa has left for Corinthians, and now he's. But uh, I think the the manager now is Polish, but it's someone who came very very recently into into the team and got them got them through those. Uh, 
those playoffs. But uh, but yeah, I think it's still a very early stages kind of uh, you know stint for him as a manager. So I think uh, well, I mean things could go very differently, but I think on paper it uh, there should be you know enough. Uh, there shouldn't be enough difficulties for Argentina to win that game, especially considering that that's the third game of the group, which is also a great advantage for us, the odds of the games, you know. So, so I think... Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 bri- it's a brilliant in every conceivable <laughs> way. So, uh, so I think I would turn my attention towards Mexico, though, because I think uh, Mexico also has something of a rivalry with Argentina. Uh, especially during World Cups, not just because of you know culture and uh, the rivalry between Argentina and Mexico as as countries, you know, as there's a lot of you know heat going back and forth between Argentina and Mexico fans, but also because of World Cup history, you know, uh, Mexico have uh, since I, t- yeah. I think uh, 1994 they qualified they qualified to every single World Cup, but they could never progress through the round of 16, and in two of those occasions it was Argentina who sent them home. 16. One of them, yeah. one of those coming with the hugely memorable Maxi Rodriguez long range volley. Uh so yeah, and also okay. given the fact that I, our in Mexico that. are also managed <laughs> by an Argentine in Carlo Martino, uh, I think there's just just so many, you know, uh so many elements that make that much a particularly spicy and uh competitive. I think Mexicans will particularly be looking forward to that game. So I I think because of that um, even if this is not exactly the, the strongest Mexico squad, uh, this is certainly weaker than the ones in 2018 and uh, even 2006. Uh, so I think, uh, I mean, on paper, Argentina should beat the, that Mexico, sorry, but I think they will come at it with a lot of intensity and a lot of, you know, uh, accumulated anger, I would say. So I would look out for that one. Yeah. So they're going to say ta-ta to Martino. Jesus Christ. On that weak bombshell, Junior, I'm going to come to you. Um, you got Serbia, you got Switzerland, you got Cameroon. Who's going sweat, even if at all? You know, I think ultimately with these games, we should win. But... I don't see us necessarily wiping the floor with any of these sides. I think, uh, for example, Serbia is a very physical team. Uh, they have a very good defensive core. Um, Switzerland, yeah. they obviously helped pull that upset with the Azuri as they sent them to second place and eventually mm. they got sent home. <laughs> so, um, and then you look at Cameroon. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about Cameroon, uh, so I can't really speak upon them with their chances. I do know they won the AFCON a few years ago. Uh, so overall, I think I don't see anything that's going to be super challenging, but there should be tight games. Um, I know you look at, for example, the 2018 World Cup. We had Switzerland and Serbia in our group, and those are tough games. Um, I know we drew Switzerland and then with the Serbia game, I believe we ended up winning, but it was not easy by any means. You bring up a good point about, you know, not wiping the floor with the competition. And 
I, I feel that that's something really grounded in reality because there is always this wild card of the World Cup which brings out something in certain players, especially from like the unfancied countries that bigger teams are just like caught out completely in the cold by, you know, one counterattack or, you know, one just slip up from the goalkeeper that leads to a goal and you're down, you know, one nil and you're rattled. I think I remember this when Brazil hosted the World Cup. Um, they were playing their first game against Croatia and uh, Marcelo had a horror show in the first 10 minutes and Croatia had a goal and I think they had another one disallowed. I think this is what Kovac was managing them and it was, we were looking like, oh, these are the hosts. These are the, you know, the fancied favorite team and Croatia is just like taking them to the sword. You know, different matter at the end. Brazil did manage to like scrape out a win, like like the, the smallest of margins. But, you know, that it, 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 it's a very, very accurate call by you that, uh, you know, these games are going to be tight. Uh, you know, no one, no one's going to allow themselves to be a pushover. They've, they've made it to the World Cup. You know, this is, this is a huge achievement for anybody. They've beaten out hundreds of teams to get here. And I don't think anyone's going to make anybody's life any easier. Yeah. And I would say generally, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I feel like with all national teams, I feel the gap between the quote unquote worst teams and the quote unquote big teams has almost shrunken in a sense. I feel like I look at all the favorites like Brazil, Argentina, France, Spain, but I don't know. I feel like the teams can be beaten certain days and it's not necessarily a feeling I had maybe a decade ago. Um, Cause even France who are probably the favorites going in, they end up losing uh, the euros fairly quickly uh, in penalties. So I don't know. I feel like, and it happened. They were leading four two. Like this is a very big possibility for anybody. Yeah. So I don't know. I just feel overall the gap between the team, the teams is closing, and I can see a lot of upsets happening that people won't be expecting uh, in Qatar. Yeah, and obviously the X factor behind all of this is this is a World Cup that's probably going to be an outlier when you look at the history books. It's going to be in the desert. It's going to be in the middle of winter. It's going to be it's going to be unfancied conditions for anybody. Like I I I think even the host Qatar don't have you know, that much of a leg up over everybody else. But, you know, just just, just to uh, sort of uh, bring it all to a close here, uh, Santi, out of all of the teams in the World Cup, who are you dreading Argentina facing? And if Argentina make it to the final, okay. who do you uh, want them so to face? So, I'm going to throw something of a hot take uh, right now, but I... <laughs> but I think that uh, Great. We love out of all the, you know, the, the so-called main main candidates to to win the world cup argentina probably has the weakest group of players in terms of you know sheer quality but i think um they they could uh you know give any of the biggest biggest national teams in the world a game for the reason that i said before because this is a group of teams a group of players that i've that i've grown accustomed to, to play together and to train together and to, you know, form those kind of understanding that I think not a lot of, you know, elite national teams really have. So I think uh, that if I, if I had to think about a team that I really dreaded playing against, I would look for a team with a similar kind of, you know, 
camaraderie and uh, cohesiveness. So I would pick Spain uh, because I think uh, Spain also have a really oh. young squad. Um, they have a, a group of really exciting youngsters coming through right now, especially the, the Barcelona midfielders, you know, the likes of uh, Gabi and Pedri. Uh, Ansu Fati, once he uh, manages to recover from those, yeah, those terrible, terrible injuries. But I think if, if he does, if his fits, we don't know. <laughs> he goes to that World Cup. Uh, but uh, I think, but not just because of the, those those group of players, but also because I think they found this kind of, you know, cohesiveness and also something of a CH mentality as well, uh, with Luis Enrique being very confrontational with the media and trying to, you know, rile up his own players and uh, being very emotional as well. So... I think uh, I think I would really dread Spain uh, as one as one of the teams I would hate to play against because of that because I think I I, I see something similar uh, with them. Yeah, really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, and um, if, well, I think if, Brazil. if if Argentina yeah, makes it to the Brazil. final, who are you doing? I mean, <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass the mic to you, Junior. Same question: Who do you dread facing in the World Cup, and who do you want to face in the final? I mean, uh, it's a really tough one. I would say any team that parks the bus is a team that I don't want to face. Um, under Tite, we typically always have issues when teams are parking the bus because with Tite, he's really a defensive type manager. He's someone who could coach Atletico Madrid. Um, when teams come... Don't tempt fate here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when teams come attack us, we play better because we can play on the counterattack. You look at the 2019 Copa America between us and Argentina. Argentina attacked us. We won on the counterattack. You look at the Copa America final from last... or Technically, the 2019 was semi-final. Sorry. But with the, the final this year, Argentina set up well. They had a nice deep block, and ultimately they capitalized on that error and won. And we just couldn't break Argentina down. So any team who's playing like that, it's going to be a problem for us. Um, so the likes of France sometimes, uh, Belgium definitely, uh, Argentina, those are teams who will definitely cause us issues. Um, I think the likes of Spain and Germany, I actually feel a little more confident against them just due to sort of their attacking playing style. Now that's, the, that's a fighting talk I want from a Brazilian fan. <laughs> bring, 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 bring them all. Bring your weak, your tired. I will, I will beat them all too, Neil. But, um, the <laughs> and, same, uh, but in terms of a dream final, um, I would definitely... Argentina would be the dream. Um, would love, would love to play Germany and even France, just sort of for uh, revenge purposes of previous World Cups. <laughs> I mean that that that's a big driving force behind these teams. Um, but you know, thank you both of you for you know this very engaging insight. I think it's 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 very good to get into context. You know how someone might feel about that country, about that chance, and really breaking it down into the individual levels. And I sort of just wanted to leave you two with, you know, something about, you know, my upbringing. I, 
uh, grew up in India, but I used to visit my grandparents in Bengal all the time. And um, in Bengal, in West Bengal, in Kolkata, um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. It, it's, it's either one of two teams or if, like most of the rest of India. When we're watching the World Cup, <laughs> it's either Brazil or it's Argentina. Um, you know, successive chief, min- chief ministers or the highest, um, you know, ranking politicians in the state, they'll always support one of the other teams. Uh, and there was, there, was, there was even a joke because Calcutta's now colors are sort of like blue and white because uh, that seems to be what the uh, chief minister's party colors are. But there, there's always that undercurrent like, no, it's the Argentine flag. We love Argentina. But in a similar vein, you know, you, you, you'll, see, you'll see paintings of Pele on the walls. And it's like, it's one tiny village in Kolkata. It's like, what do they know about football? And like, like Brazil and Argentina, at least for when I was growing up, like these were the two teams. You don't support anybody else. You know, when you come when you come to New Delhi, you come to the other metropolitans. It's like, yeah, you got the hipsters, you got someone supporting Croatia, some someone supporting France. But at the core of it, um, you know, I'd love to see a Brazil Argentina final. And I know, like the city yeah, of Colorado. I remember, is be I remember, shot. like uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, gonna I, be. I, I um a little bit aware of the fact that I remember, like Bangladesh is completely insane for Argentina. You know, filling its streets. It, I think I saw some Indian footage as well when when Argentina won the Copa America. That uh, I mean, I think I uh, I know that Argentina have a, an incredibly strong fan base in in, in India and Bangladesh. Uh, I don't know exactly why that is the case. They they maybe you've been you know inspired by by Maradona in in in. <laughs> so Maradona had actually long ago come to Kolkata, and, and this is the fun. This is a fun fact to sort of end it. My grandmother actually was there at the uh, uh, at the airport to see him because she ran one of the um, you know youth ministries for girls, and you know Maradona being intensely religious, um, you know visited them, and uh, I think when he came there, uh, because obviously because mm-hmm. of the con- connection with Mother Teresa. I believe was one of the driving forces for him to come there. And he says, um, I landed at the airport in Kolkata on a hot afternoon, could have been a hundred degrees outside and I couldn't see the runway. Wow. I could just see a sea of people. <laughs> and it was like the whole city had stopped. Maradona, the god of football for them had come in. So that's just, uh, that's just uh, sorry, you know, the, the happier end on what's been a storied, storied rivalry. You know, we'd uh, love, love to see a final. Uh, Thank you both uh, for joining me. You know, it's been a very, very interesting discussion. I uh, hope Brazil and uh, Argentina make it very deep into this World Cup. I know for ardent followers and uh, more casual uh, watchers of the World Cup who come in every once in every four years, that'll be a treat for them to watch. Um, from me here at Rota Qatar, I will see you again at the next mile marker. Thank you for joining us. All right, boys, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so, so, so much. Um, just stay on the line here because I am going to get um, the oh. bot to stop recording. Um, and uh, give me one second. Uh, one second. <laughs>